Cultures around the world have always looked to nature as a source of both increased health and wellness. While modern science continues to support this connection, we spend the majority of our time indoors. Welcome to the Nature of Wellness podcast, where we explore the relationship between the natural world and the human experience. Join us as we discuss all things nature, health, and well-being. We truly believe the future of health is now. Hey there, and welcome back to another episode of the Nature of Wellness podcast. I'm Dr. Mark Campbell, and with me is my favorite co-host in the world, my favorite human being, Steve Otero. How's it going, Steve? I'm going to stick with it. (laughs) How are you today, bud? Oh, man, I'm great. I'm great. What a time of year. I mean, we just just got through Thanksgiving, which is... You know, just means that everything's coming really fast as far as the holidays. But what a an amazing time to show our gratitude and to be thankful and to kind of stop and push pause and really reflect on the great things in our lives. It's been a wonderful year, I think. This has been a, a year of recovery, uh, at least a community that I'm living in. Right? A lot of folks um, really trying to get after as far as taking good care of themselves, all right? getting outside as much as possible. I'm, you know, I'm hearing about people who, who really had good boating years, people who had good biking years, people who had great walking years, right? Wow. Uh, one of the most basic things we can do, um, but also right, one of the most beneficial for our health overall, just going on a nice, pleasant walk out there. Absolutely. Um, so, yeah. I'm super, super grateful. Um, That's what, awesome. What are you grateful for, Mark? Oh man, so much. Well, I'm, I mean, I'm going to be generic and, and initially say I'm grateful <laughs> for this podcast. I'm grateful for <laughs> this experience, the, the, Response that we've gotten so far has been just absolutely humbling. Uh, the you know we've had a guest which worked out really well and got a great response to that. I'm grateful for you, right? Oh, <laughs> well, thank you. Um, and you. being able to be on this journey with you. Uh, how about yourself, Steve? What are you grateful for this year? Well, I was, I'm grateful for a lot of things. Thank goodness for learning. Just learning how to be grateful um, in and of itself has been a really cool experience that I continue to work on um, daily with my family, right. With a couple of young, you know, 10 year old children and, um, you know, living an example as I was taught when I was in the military or as a, as a label for it, right. Trying to live a, a, an example of being a grateful human that in and of itself can be a, a bit of a challenge, you know, daily to do it with, uh, to do it and be genuine. Right. And, and so, um, you know, I'm super grateful to be where we are today and, and doing what we're doing. But I'm also really grateful because of an article that I read over the weekend. Uh, it was uh, published from King's College over in London, right? They have a, a really great uh, research institution over there in the UK. And, and over at King's College, uh, they had some students uh, working on research related to hearing bird sounds. Oh, right? wow. So what, what they were able to do is they were able to um, get a group of individuals to download a, a little app on their phone, and they checked in with these persons three times a day. And they asked them, one of the key questions that they had for them was, did they hear natural sounds? And the participants of this research, there were like 1,300 participants, and the overwhelming majority of the participants who were exposed to birds chirping, they reported a more positive mental health outlook. They reported less instances of feeling depressed and more instances of feeling happy. So I just think that's pretty fascinating, you know, with the top main topics of our podcast here. Wow, that's fantastic. And you know, um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with this, but that's why we say birds sing, because bird sounds fall within that decibel range that humans find most appealing. Oh, that's pretty cool. Right. So hearing bird noises instantly calms us, instantly centers us. Right. So I, I love that. I love that article. I'm going to have to, I have to read that one. I'll shoot it um, big believer in that. I have a bird feeder just outside my, my uh, kitchen window and fill it every day and just sit back and listen. It's fantastic. Um, yeah. One of my favorite parts of the summertime around here, especially like I know that things have changed over completely. I, I put out hummingbird feeders and in the hummingbirds right out in front of my house, they, they go crazy. I mean, we have 15, wow. 20 hummingbirds at feeding times in the morning and in the evenings. And I, I never knew just actually how aggressive and territorial hummingbirds were until I started mm-hmm. feeding them. Uh, and then my education broadened, you know, quickly, <laughs> but beautiful. That's most species though, right? <laughs> when you introduce food or some well, sort of reward, we all get a little crazy. I just never experienced, you know, I was, I grew up as a city boy. I did. I can admit that, right? I grew up in Houston and, and, um, and you know, my dad took me camping and things like that, but I'm, I was an urban, you know, kid. And, and so to see that, to experience that, right. I'd never experienced that until, you know, my mid thirties. 
So it's it very, very new to me, right? A new nature experience for, for a guy like me. And it's just, it's fascinated me every single year that I've had the opportunity to, uh, to see these hummingbirds, you know, commune <laughs> and grab some food. Man. That's wonderful. And you know, uh, two other things I'm really grateful for. One is pumpkin pie, since we're talking about mm. Thanksgiving, uh, always yes, delicious. And even more so, I can honestly say I'm extremely grateful for our guest today. Nice yes. little segue there. Um, you, you know, we rolled the dice on who we would get as our first group of guests. And I really feel like we, we won the jackpot here. Um, and today, especially, I mean, this is one of my favorite people. Absolutely. Uh, very lucky to call him a good friend. Um, it's Dr. Mark Pettis and Dr. Pettis is a triple board certified internist, nephrologist, and integrative medicine physician. Been practicing for over 30 years, which is mind boggling because he doesn't look much older than that, in my opinion. <laughs> uh, you receive his educational background is from, you know, the University of uh, or Boston University, UMass Medical for his MD. Uh, his postdoctoral training was at Harvard Medical School. He completed his renal fellowship at Mass General in Boston. Uh, he's also an alumnus of the Advanced Program for Conflict Resolution, Negotiation, and Mediation at the Harvard School of Public Health. He currently serves as the president of the board of directors of the National Wellness Institute. Um, I appreciate him for so many reasons. One big reason is that just like me, uh, we share the the need for keeping our bio short. So I'll uh, <laughs> I'll let Mark talk about himself in a bit. But Dr. Mark Pettis, welcome. welcome. Thank you, gentlemen. Great to be with you. Really great. Well, we're extremely lucky to have you. And, and also, I didn't mention, but Mark and his. Uh, Co-host John Bagnulo hosts the Health Edge podcast, and I would definitely like to give them a shout out. It's a wonderful podcast. Um, I listen to it every single episode, and I can honestly say I'm better for it. For sure. So, Mark, please know that. Thank you, and I and congratulations to the two of you on launching your podcast. I absolutely Thank loved you. your your first few recordings, and um, really look forward to just uh, reflecting more on this amazing work of of connecting people to nature and all of the the magic and incredible things that can happen as a consequence of that that's so great very humbled yeah, by thank that you. thank and you and i know steve you know we were on a call with mark and john early on and it was honestly it was their encouragement that really pushed us to hit record definitely and it was, uh, you know, hey, I wish we would hit record an hour ago on this conversation sort of comment <laughs> that really motivated us to make this happen. So uh, I'm very grateful for that. And Mark, we're talking about gratitude with Thanksgiving just happening. What's something that you're grateful for this year? Yeah, surely grateful for uh, the love in my life, which has been abundant um, from family, from friends, and um, the ability to thrive in a in a with a sense of peace and equanimity, just given all the tumultuous stuff out there, you know, so I'm very grateful for that and, uh, and grateful to be able to, to share. I, you know, I think it was the Dalai Lama that once said to pay full attention to another as a generous gift. And I feel like this work that we're all immersed in is very much um, to pay attention to what's going on in our lives and how we can more consciously acknowledge and, uh, and raise gratitude for that. So thank you for even asking that. Oh, wow. Well, you know, I, you're, I always say that you're one of the smartest people I know, and I know you're going to poo-poo that away, but it's true. <laughs> you're extremely smart in so many ways. Um, I feel like whatever questions I have in any topic I can call and you've got an answer or, or know a resource that I can turn to. So I, I would love to hear a little bit about your background. Can you tell us, you know, how you got to this point with wellness and lifestyle medicine and just a little bit about your journey. Yeah, I had a very traditional um, uh, journey early on. Uh, you know, I, in high school, I loved sciences and, and math. And, you know, if you were a, a, a guy and you were good in science and math, you know, you were sort of reduced to a stereotype. And everyone said, you know, you should go into medicine. Uh, you know, women were probably less likely to get that guidance back then. But I, I had yeah. my... My family, I grew up in a very much of a blue collar environment. Neither of my parents had a college education. And so I was afforded opportunities that were really new to our lineage. And um, 
uh, went into uh, medicine with very little knowledge or appreciation for the field itself. And very early on uh, found that, um, you know, the science I loved and um, being able to serve others was indeed a, a true gift. Um, but very early on, I saw disparities between uh, when I was experiencing, uh, where I knew some truths to be, uh, where perhaps I um, saw suffering in others that could not be adequately addressed in the model that I was taught and in the sort of the paradigms that I was very much acculturated in. And and th- that disparity became more apparent to me. I, you know, as you mentioned at the outset, Mark, my training was in nephrology, so a kidney specialist. And I took care of pretty sick people, many of whom were confronting their mortality, many of whom were um, suffering terribly. And I would enter these lives as a somewhat of a complete stranger in a somewhat random way and really began to appreciate the power of of connection, of empathy, you know, spirituality, all of which had no easy place in this sort of scientific materialism <laughs> that I had been so steeped in. And so I always struggled a bit with that with that disconnect. Uh, but it was probably 20 years or so ago where both my parents, um, who have since died, developed kidney failure, you know, my specialty, and ended up on dialysis, which is a really tough ride, um, essentially a life-sustaining treatment that would clean the blood in the way that, that in, in my parents' example, their kidneys were unable to do. And as traumatic as that was for them and for for my sister and I, it, it did strike me that much of what was consuming their lives was indeed preventable. And yet I did not seem to have the inadequate knowledge or skill um, to be able to help prevent these things that ultimately I was just sort of supporting. And that's when I really pivoted um, as a caregiver for my parents and uh, as someone who very much wanted to change my approach to self-care and my uh, ability to serve others really pivoted and it it changed my life in ways that I, I could have never possibly predicted. And that journey, that evolution continues for me. It brought me into uh, certainly nutrition, into uh, the power of the mind and what we might call mind-body science. Uh, it it really brought me to this place of understanding why it was that being outdoors, taking my fishing rod and finding a nice quiet place to cast Um, why it was that I felt so good after those experiences and really began to immerse myself in this science of lifestyle, the science that ultimately uh, changed everything for me. And and there's been no looking back. So it all of that um, continued to build in terms of my interest in wellness, uh, developing community care models, uh, particularly models that could leverage this for for people, many of whom were confronting um, challenging obstacles, much like my parents did, uh, people with fewer resources, people with perhaps more limited health literacy. Uh, and it, it's really been a, a remarkable evolution and one that I'm very grateful for. Stay with us. We'll be right back. What's all around you, almost everywhere you look, and makes your life better? Birds. Learn all about these beautiful creatures in this wonderful new podcast called Birds of a Feather Talk Together. Two experts guide two newbies on their journey to learn more. Mallard ducks, ivory-billed woodpeckers, Hawaiian honeycreepers, blue jays, cardinals, sandhill cranes, and more. Each week we discuss a different bird and walk away with a better understanding of the birds all around us. Oh, and we have a ton of fun doing it. Listen now. You're going to like learning about these birds. I guarantee it. So great. And I know we've talked before 
uh, about, you mentioned, uh, being outdoors and, the and the power that it had, uh, we've talked about a disconnect between being outdoors and modern healthcare and modern medicine. Um, can you touch on that just a little bit? Well, I do have this, this theory, Mark, as many clinicians do that would fall in, in the category of ancestral, uh, health and looking at the evolution of, of humans and the way that they live their lives with a, a profound understanding of their their uh, place in nature, their respect for the environments that they were in. And um, modern life, which has created so many disconnects between that which we have evolved to be in relationship with and ultimately that which we are in relationship with as a major fault line uh, in terms of driving uh, poor health and uh, diminished longevity. Uh, and so, I, you know, it to some extent, we're a species with amnesia. And uh, the medical enterprise, um, uh, well-intentioned as it is, sophisticated as it is, really uh, bypasses that uh, in a way that my training, like most doctors, and I went to very good places, um, very much it was a diagnosis and pharmaceutical approach uh, to health uh, and very uh, narrowly focused. And, and so, um, the, you know, these values conflicts for me became greater and greater. And um, while I think the pendulum is definitely swinging, ours is still an enterprise where um, the pharmaceutical, the quick fix, the, the tendency uh, to try to uh, control the fire without ever understanding where it came from um, is still very much mainstream thinking. But I, I think consumers and people are very much wanting a different model. And many of my colleagues through the years have become frustrated as I had become um, with seeing a person every 15, 20 minutes, understanding they needed much more than they were able to communicate in that short time and working off a playbook that left out so much of what our ancestors would have looked at as just um, uh, healthy ways to engage the environments that we're in. Mark, do, do you think that there's an opportunity there, right? You know, I, as we mentioned earlier, um, you know, I'm a grad student, right, in a, in a rural health program. And so, you know, me putting my student hat on and sort of reading and being exposed to some new literature um, this year is, you know, has got me thinking about, like you were mentioning earlier, our model, right? And so do, do you think that there's some room here in the future maybe to update the model? Right, we were talking about how there there is definitely some science out there. There's physiology-based studies out there. Um, you know, do you think, do you see, do you see a, a, one of these universities, you know, maybe teaching a nature, uh, a nature and health class or, or something like that? Or, you know, how do we go, how do we get there? Um, I, that's a, that is a brilliant question, Steve. And I do think the pendulum is uh, shifting some yeah. um, in part because nobody can deny, regardless of the lens through which they look at health or, or how they serve others, nobody can deny the fact that our system of care is failing miserably in enhancing quality of life and its ability yeah. to prevent or even reverse disease, which has hit epidemic proportions. Uh, you know, it can be said that um, this, this current um, generation or two of Americans is the least healthy that have ever walked this planet. Wow. Um, and, and so, you know, I do think that the, the cost of medicine over $4 trillion uh, in 2021, $4 trillion <laughs> spent on the healthcare system. While longevity diminishes, quality of life diminishes, um, we're paying a lot and not getting a whole lot in return for that investment of time and precious resources. And, and so nobody can deny that. And, and I do think that people uh, are definitely recognizing the need to be thinking differently about their health, um, thinking differently about how they can add to the uh, the medicine that they're being prescribed. Uh, 
Um, and um, the science, as you say, Steve, is much more robust, I think, than what many people appreciate, uh, because the conclusions of much of that science are not necessarily easy to patent or or make a profit from. I, I you yeah. know, I'm not I don't mean to sound political, but that's just sort of the nature of this uh, beast. Yeah. Um, but I, I think the pendulum is swinging significantly. And and in the example of community care, rural care, where we understand social determinants of health, health literacy, food security, loving, meaningful relationships, you begin to realize that um, the ability to connect a person to others, to be outdoors, to be getting a little more sunshine, to be more mindful of the power of, of breath, that these are largely free and inexpensive um, modalities, interventions, if you will, that yeah, yeah. people who need it most could greatly benefit from. And it's a very different playbook than than the one that we've been taught, certainly as healthcare professionals. Everything that you just mentioned, right, it's, it's all related to education. So, right, each each potential intervention is is maybe just a a lack of education for for some of us, um, you know, out here in the woods or out here in the fields, right? Out here living next to the river, right? I mean, we just some of us intuitively are able to just be in an environment, right? Some days it's just where we grew up or where our choice of you know living, but maybe we um, with a little extra education from from others, uh, other professionals, right, in the community, maybe we could enhance the benefits, right? Absolutely, Steve. And and I think just that awareness, um, we have so much distraction in our lives that it can be very hard in any moment that one is in (laughs) to appreciate that, uh, you know, a few minutes of of sunlight or a few minutes in the woods um, is a profoundly health-promoting experience. it can be hard to really appreciate that if one isn't able to pause and and be still in in that in that moment. And it's hard for us for many reasons. Education is definitely part of it. Um, you know, I the other amazing thing about what we're talking about, Steve, is, and I've done a lot of community work, and when you focus at the level of genuinely caring about someone that you're in relationship with, helping them understand how to cut an avocado or how to make a simple bean and rice stir fry (laughs) or um, how, um, you know, sunlight is, uh, uh, you know, like putting yourself in a battery charger. Uh, You know, I think that what people begin to share with you through email or you run into them in the supermarket is they begin to tell you how those moments began to transform their lives. Yeah. When I was prescribing and doing what nephrologists do, uh, rarely did people comment to me on their lives being transformed. Um, you know, I was always very personal in my connections and that's what people tended to think about was just, you know, the care, caring, and that's powerful in and of itself. Uh, but the kinds of communication I get now in terms of lifestyle, things that we're talking about, is my life has changed. I have nice. not felt like this maybe ever or in many, many years. We're really talking about transformation as opposed to, right, these Band-Aids and these sort of superficial uh, patches that we're attempting to address much more complex uh, and beautiful, um, you know, systems with. Yeah. I think this is great. And, you know, not to get, as you said, not to get political or controversial too much, but uh, everything you're talking about, I learned in school as a child in classes called health and (laughs) and PE. (laughs) And it's really, you know, it's, it's amazing to me that these last few uh, decades are the unhealthiest we've ever been when you could also look and see that some of our educational institutions have taken those fundamental education components out of schools. So we're not teaching kids at an early age so that it becomes part of their, you know, not what they're trying to do to be healthy. It's just part of who they are to yeah. be healthy. 
as far as healthy foods and even with like financial wellness. I mean, in health class, I, I shook my head at why are we learning to balance a checkbook in health class? But it's absolutely a component of our health and well-being. Right. So, um, I mean, there's so many obstacles. We could talk about the obstacles to, to healthcare <laughs> and well-being for days. Um, and honestly, you know, Mark, I'm sure you hear this a lot, Steve. We've talked about it a lot. We're starting to really focus on the barriers instead of the solutions, which which scares me a little bit. You know, we talk about why we're not healthy, but we don't really get into the how do we get from here to where we currently are focusing on this to proactively making those changes. One of my very favorite things that you've ever said, and I've heard you say it a few times, including today, and I've repeated it numerous times, is a species with amnesia. One of my favorite phrases <laughs> ever. And I think it's true because we know, we we know inherently uh, how to take care of ourselves, but we've forgotten. We've gotten busy with other things. We've gotten distracted. Uh, we've let certain things take the forefront when we know you know, things like nature truly impacts our, our level of well-being. And I know that you talk about sometimes, at least, you know, when we had conversation about the disconnect between you as a kid coming up in nature and then what you saw getting into a, a healthcare profession. Can you touch on that just for a second? Yeah, certainly growing up and the many uh, stressors and challenges of my life uh, growing up, and we've we've all had these experiences in our in our lives. Uh, nature was really the lifeline, um, and the in my example, um, having woods nearby and a and a and a lake nearby where I could you know walk and fish and and do all those things was a lifeline. And it was meditative. I, I, as a child, I would not have said that I was meditating. I was fishing, but I was at peace. I never felt alone. That's a, that's a whole nother conversation. While I was physically alone, I felt very supported. I felt held. Um, nature holds us, right? I mean, it, there was yeah. almost something um, sentient and conscious about it. And, and I, and I know that's a whole nother road we can go down <laughs> at, the, at the research. Um, and then, you know, it, um, next thing, you know, you're, you're pre-med and you're, you know, you're studying, you're indoors all the time, you're eating fast food. Uh, you're, um, just on the treadmill continuously. You're around other people who are doing the same things. Um, ultra competitive, um, you know, pull up your bootstraps. There were, you know, very little place to to um, express emotionally. Uh, and so it, there was that interesting sort of juxtaposition um, that, um, you know, as I, as I mentioned, very much created some of these value conflicts for me. And, um, and even in the medical enterprise, you, you could talk about these things, bring these things up. For me, it was always easier in that one-on-one. -on -one. Um, to me, that was always a sacred place to be with another person. But around colleagues, you had to be a bit careful about, about where you went, uh, you know, if if it wasn't sort of consistent with, with the playbook. Um, so, I, you know, it. I've had so much affirmation. And in some respects, I feel like I've gone full circle um, in terms of, of um, bringing those memories back, uh, reminding myself of, of how powerful they are. And, um, and, you know, as you both well know, um, ours is an environment, environment just in terms of work environment, school environment, outdoor, you know, ours is an architecture that makes it much more likely that person is going to go from point A to point B within that architecture and come out with a choice that's not serving them very well. You couldn't design an environment least likely to promote a healthy choice than the 21st century environment that we are in. Uh, you know, I sometimes think that if my great great grandparents uh, and the many generations who preceded them, you know, I mean, think about the fact that thousands of generations with your book of life preceded you. And going back just three or four generations, if I were to, to take my great grandparents and go to our local supermarket, 
they would have absolutely no idea what was in most of those aisles, except <laughs> for the perimeter boxes. where they say, oh, yeah, <laughs> eggs and meats and produce. Um, today, our environments, um, you know, people are confused about what to eat. No generation before us has ever been confused about what to eat. Um, it, it, it's uh, almost become far more complicated than it needs to be. You mentioned, isn't it known? I thought there's some research out there related to um, med students, right? Like second year and stressors sort of building up, piling up, right? And there, there've been, uh, there's been some, you know, research into how to try to promote their health, right? Specifically, obviously we want that group of persons going through that experience to be as healthy as possible. Uh, have you heard of anything about, you know, any med students maybe that are I don't know, being introduced to nature? Or do you think that maybe that's a good introduction for some new, the next generation of physicians, right? Uh, uh, helping them be healthy during those years that they're known to be, maybe be the most stressed out? I think there is more awareness, Steve, uh, particularly with the, right, these undeniable mental health statistics of burnout and depression, yeah, yeah. And suicide pervasive as that is across our culture, when you look at medical professionals, uh, you know, as many as 40, 50% of medical students at any time are dealing with burnout. Yeah. Uh, and so I, I do think that it's very much on the radar today in ways that even five, 10 years ago, less so. Um, it, the, it, I think the ways in which it is dealt with um, is still very much of a uh, more of a traditional model. We want to have more counseling services available. Okay. We uh, maybe want to make sure you have a little more downtime, so you're not going to be expected to work as many hours, um, as opposed to a lifestyle roadmap that would begin to help those students think entirely differently about the food they're consuming. Uh, the, the amount of time they are getting outdoors, uh, the importance of of gratitude and uh, <laughs> suspending judgment. You know, ours is a as an enterprise. You know, there's just a lot of judgment. Yeah. Um, good, bad. Um, the words that we choose. Um, so I, you know, it. I don't think it's reached a level yet, despite the awareness of how important it is um, of of what we're talking about. Uh, there's still, I think, a, an underappreciation for how powerful uh, it is. Now, what I see happening is more students are taking it upon themselves um, through peer-to-peer -peer support. They're doing more yoga classes, meditation uh -huh. classes. I think they're much more open and perplexed by why it is they're they're learning so little about <laughs> healthy food and nutrition. But it's it still has quite a ways to go, and I see that at the undergraduate college level where I've, I've been, you know, I've served college campuses. I see it at the residency level. These are already MDs. They're just going faster now on the treadmill and working more hours. And, and even if they have an appreciation for uh, some of what we're talking about, it's, it's hard to find ways to integrate that in, into their workflow of, of life. Not that it can't yeah. be done, uh, there there aren't as many role models and mentors out there for this kind of thing. It's changing, albeit slowly. Yeah, thanks for that. I, I, have, I have a little bit of an ulterior motive because I have you know I have a, a brother who's a physician. He's practicing outside of, just outside of Dallas, and then I have two sisters. One who's just just about to graduate from nursing school, and another who's already uh, she's a NICU nurse. Um, care sort of runs in my family. Professional. Uh, yeah. intervention and care runs in my family. And so, I, you know, I was worried about, we all always worry about you know, those who we call family. And yeah, um, so I'm grateful for your answer because I hopefully yeah. you know, they're listening. Thank you, <laughs> Steve. And, and you know, you could take a critical care nurse um, yeah. and, you know, many of them are working second, third shifts. They have lots of disruption to their circadian rhythms. We know yeah. that they have a higher prevalence of health issues. If you take an ICU environment, and create more natural light, or if you take the overhead fluorescent lights and convert them to these warmer full spectrum lights, you would probably begin to see dramatic health effects, not just for the patients that are in those ICUs, 
but for the personnel that are caring for them. And again, I think there's a little more attention being paid to that, but there's a lot of opportunity to create more healing environments that are attuned to natural colors, natural light, particularly in healthcare environments. And, you know, that's something that I've been a part of for probably 20 years now, working with healthcare teams on things like compassion fatigue and burnout. And uh, there, there is evidence informed research out there showing just what you're saying, Mark, about changing out the lights in the ICU or in the OR, uh, having views of nature, not just for the patients, which we know can increase healing time by up upwards of 30% for major surgeries, major procedures, but also for the staff, giving them a chance to see nature on a regular uh, basis. And I still am asked to speak to healthcare teams weekly. And I, I see that uh, the amount of information I give is getting smaller and smaller and smaller and looks a lot more like get outside, you know? <laughs> yeah. um, so I do think that that's, that's coming. And I know that there are uh, integrative medicine classes now that are taught in the college level, not just for physicians or for nurses or primary care uh, entities, but for folks in any allied healthcare professions. I mean, this is something when you talk about things like compassion fatigue and burnout, this started in nursing literature, but it's also been studied in clinical social workers and teachers and, you know, anybody who cares for another person. And then you have the last couple of years with, with the pandemic and, you know, how many people became caregivers or put in that position who were not trained at all, right? Family caregivers. And uh, so th this information is so important. Steve, I'm thinking that we need to have another episode about, you know, th these topics specifically, compassion, fatigue, burnout, caregiving, and how nature impacts that. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. And, you know, Mark, as... Uh, profound is what you just said is, and I, I've struggled with this in my own life, um, and I certainly see it in a lot of people that I, I've cared for, is this ability to bring that compassion to oneself, self-love and self-compassion, self-forgiveness. And again, in, in healthcare, uh, you know, it, certainly in medical training, I mean, you just never go there. And in our interactions with patients and families, you know, it healthcare providers are can be very compassionate, but you know, we don't there is still this struggle to share with someone that maybe you love them, maybe you know you you care about them or or a colleague. And um it's it can be a tough love uh culture and environment. Um <laughs> no question. Uh but I, I do think that um the um extent to which bringing nature in, in whatever way an individual engages it is definitely on the radar. Um, and um, that, I, I think, to a large extent, particularly uh, in the primary care level, in the behavioral and mental health level, you know, I think there is just tremendous interest in trying to bring more of that in, even, even though a person may not fully understand how best to do that. Uh, you know, we know that um, a certain quality of light, this hey. is my uh, happy light, <laughs> and uh, over the uh, darker season, if you will, you know, the fall winter season, and where I live, the northern latitude that I live, that's half the year. Uh, Many people are going to feel blue. They may feel more depressed. They certainly will have less of a tendency to want to be moving. Um, and it, it becomes this, this sort of vicious cycle. And even small doses of a full spectrum, you know, bright light exposure will totally alter the, your brain chemistry. You know, it might be December 1st, wherever you are, but the light that's entering your retina and ultimately your brain, the signals of that quality of light is this is an early spring day. And this is the kind of light that an early spring day brings to you. And, and the downstream biochemical effects are just incredible. And so, you know, 
we, we might refer to that as seasonal affective disorder, right? We medicalize everything. The yeah. point is that as humans, as a species, we simply need more of that. And this is just an example of how a relatively simple intervention can totally transform the quality of one's life over a long winter season. And the extent to which blood pressure might improve with that, um, food choice might improve with that, the motivation to connect and engage in a happier, more joyful way, uh, more likely to to come as a consequence of that are the byproducts. And, and so this is one of my favorite uh, winter interventions. And <laughs> I, I think this costs maybe $30, $35. Not, so not too bad. How much light do we need? Is there, is there, is there a measure that you know of? I mean, well, that's and- a really great question. Steve, I mean, most of the research that I'm familiar with uh, is in this seasonal affective category, and a lot has been published. There, the threshold for most appears to be about 20 to 30 minutes a day. Okay. Um, When I'm working with a client, and I try to do this in my own life, I try to recommend being outdoors, certainly in the morning hours where uh, we get a little more blue light. Uh, blue light is we have evolved. The blue light is what turns our system on to get ready to hunt and gather for the day. Light at the end of the day, even if it's not bright, warm summer light, you know, January light at the end of that sun cycle has more of the uh, orange, red, infrared. That is a rest and restorative wavelength of light that for that individual will help help them heal cellular regeneration and restoration overnight. So, you know, in this example, light is information and that information is translated in a very powerful way and small doses, probably as little as 15 minutes, twice a day. A lot of the research would suggest that's more than sufficient to produce a lot of these effects without the concern that, that people would understandably have of, you know, getting too much sun particularly in the middle of the day. Um, you know, our ancestors knew this. They don't, they don't hunt and gather at noon. <laughs> That's when they find shade. You know, they also don't see themselves as separate. You know, we have this illusion of separateness. P- Pettis has this illusion that he's separate than, than Campbell and separate from Otero. That's an illusion. Right. Uh, and we also have that same illusion of separateness in terms of nature. And so I have to remind myself that the trees in my backyard are my family. Uh, you know, we're in this <laughs> together and uh, you're not separate from anything. And that's a really powerful shift. You just made me think that we need a mycelium and tree root uh, episode, considering all the latest <laughs> research out there yeah. about trees, yeah. trees potentially being their own neurological systems, right? Their own methods of communicating out there. Yeah. It's- fascinating work. Beautiful stuff. And honestly, Mark, I know, I know you do a lot and you speak a lot on full spectrum light. Can you break that down a little bit more for the listeners at home and talk a little bit about the happy light just for folks that aren't seeing the, you know, the video just on audio, what does that look like? And what can people do during these uh, sad months, the seasonal affective disorder part of the year? What can people do um, if, if maybe they can't get outside because of the weather? Yeah, and I I do think that most of these um, happy lights, what what distinguishes them is that you want to be getting 10,000 lux, L-U-X. And lux is just a a measure of the magnitude of that light. So a happy light will be a bright light source, 10,000 lux. To put that in perspective, you know, in a midsummer July day, you're looking at a hundred thousand lux. Wow, um, brilliant, bright. Mm-hmm. So ten thousand lux. If you were full spectrum, simply implies that the light has most of the colors of the rainbow. You know, we can all remember in yeah. physics holding a prism up to the light mm-hmm. and then seeing all the colors, much much like you'd see a rainbow in the sky on a you know when the conditions are right. Those colors are always there. We just don't appreciate them. And and, and so full spectrum is like a full symphony of light. Instead of just getting the, the strings, you're getting all the instruments. It's bright. It's balanced. 
And that's those appear to be the properties of a healing light for morning exposure. This is a morning exposure that we're talking about. And a uh, so anyone that just Googled happy light, generally those are the criteria that would automatically be implied in the choices that come up. And again, 15, 20 minutes on the short end, 30 minutes on the long end is more than sufficient. Um, generally, you don't have to be looking directly into the light. You simply have to have your eyes open in close proximity to the light so it can enter through your pupils. You know, your listeners might be interested in knowing that you know, your pupils are your portal um, to your brain. I mean, this is a, a portal. No other place in the body allows direct access to your brain. Light has above top secret clearance. <laughs> and that and that information is powerful when the quality of that information is kind of like what we just talked about. Uh, and when the timing of that exposure is aligned with how we've evolved to be connected to that exposure. So over the winter months, this is a great morning uh, intervention. Uh, another way to manipulate your environment, uh, particularly over the winter season, would be in any room that you're spending more time in after sunset, bedroom, family room, I would uh, consider if you have a, like a compact fluorescent bulb, it tends to be a blue light source. You okay. want that in the morning, not late in the day. After sunset, you know, nature does not as much blue light and natural light toward the end of the day. So if you get too much blue light after sunset, it may be 10 p.m., but the information that that light contains is telling your brain that it's eight in the morning. Oh, wow. And so that is a complete disconnect and people can be impacted by that. So later in the day, you want a warmer light source. So I would switch out a curly compact fluorescent with a, a warm LED, warm, which would be on the packaging, would simply imply that it, it's a, a bit more of a yellow, softer tone, more than bright enough to be reading a book or, you know, you're able to work in your environment but it's a but it's a, a different light source in much the same way, a um, using a computer or a smartphone. Most have settings now where you can filter out that blue light, yeah. and and they put these settings in because the industry knew they had to get out in front of this. Um, and so I do encourage those who um, spend a lot of time on their phones or tablets to go into their uh, control panels and um, there should be a, a design blue filter that they can activate at a certain time and then turn off the following morning as a new day begins. Those alone are really powerful interventions. Well, and even with the newer TVs, winter is a time for people to sit around and watch TV together because they can't get outside as much. So uh, with the newer TVs, they have the same settings for the same reason. Um, yeah, exactly. I, and these TVs can be really bright and yeah. and they're not always as easy to get into the control panels. And and so I the other strategy that I like is uh, using blue blocker glasses. Oh, yeah. And these are um you uh, you know on Amazon you can get a pair for $10. They have an amber yellowish uh you know lens. You know my kids think I look like Bono from U2. <laughs> Uh, when I put these Great on, uh, so I could be watching a sporting event, you know, late at night, you, you're getting the bright high definition, but you're filtering out that blue light. And from a sleep quality, mood, cognition perspective, blood pressure, everything that's been studied has been shown in some way to be disrupted by non-native lighting. Uh, if it's not of good quality, disrupted by not getting enough time outdoors and very much ameliorated or improved when those lighting conditions are aligned uh, in a way that's more uh, consistent with those natural spectrums of light at those times of day. It's really fascinating stuff. And, and this, is, this is pretty low tech, what we're talking about. Yeah. I mean, that's outstanding. I, I, <laughs> I could listen to you talk about this all day. Um, 
but there's, I mean, we've seen such a huge increase in the last few years, especially with anxiety, depression, uh, sleep disruption, poor quality of sleep. And it just makes me, you know, I'm, I'm sure there's a correlation out there somewhere in a, in a study of the amount of time we've spent indoors during the pandemic on screens, working from home. Now we talk about saving, you know, 60 million hours of commute time, but we don't talk about that 60 million hours are probably sitting in front of our computer absorbing blue light. So, um, you know, this is really important stuff. And I love that you gave low tech examples because it shouldn't have to cost much to make these changes. This isn't something that Steve and I are really big on the idea of, of, uh, what we're calling nature responsibly. Um, and it doesn't take a lot of expensive gear. It doesn't take, right. you know, I, I know that you walk the talk, Mark, and you have infrared chamber in your house and you have the happy light and rightly so you're an expert in the, in the subject, but for the, you know, the person, average person out there, just walk outside, you know, have your windows open at appropriate <laughs> times during the day. You know, the, the $4 uh, glasses that you can buy, they're, they're so inexpensive and I have several pairs around and while I'm on the computer all day, I'll have different ones on, but just these small yeah. inexpensive changes make such a big difference. That's that's so beautiful, Mark, what you just said, because even this tendency we have to have our sunglasses on all the time, the therapeutic effect of, of what we're talking about requires, you know, an open access. Right. Yeah. Uh, not that you're going to be staring in, in powerful, hot midsummer sunlight, but earlier in the day, again, for 15 minutes, just allowing that light to access your eyes and as much of your skin as possible. Uh, you know, our skin is a much more active interface between the environment and this internal biology. These frequencies of light have many effect on our biology independent of, of what we were just talking about with our eyes. They can help us detox they can very much help with circadian rhythms, which may have implication for blood pressure. You know, you're talking about anxiety and PTSD. When you're getting blue light, toxic, you're in fight flight. And if, yeah. you know, if you're going into fight flight at 10 p.m. at a time where you should be having the opposite biologic effect, you can begin to appreciate how that disruption day after day, night after night, week after week, will eventually lead to these things we call diseases. We might say Mrs. Smith is a diabetic. Mrs. Smith has some early cataracts. Mrs. Smith is depressed. Mrs. Smith has generalized anxiety disorder. We're not saying Mrs. Smith is blue light toxic. Right. Um, we're not saying Mrs. Smith has natural full spectrum light deficiency. It's a very different language. And, and, you know, I know you guys know this, but I think that's the beauty of what we're talking about. It's really not high tech. My mind is blown. Steve, I, I see the same look <laughs> on your face that I'm feeling of. This is just <laughs> unbelievable. Um, so Mark, if I were to ask, what is the one thing that you want the world to know about nature and its impact on our health and well-being from your perspective, if you had one message? Nature uh, is the greatest gift and most powerful intervention on the planet. Uh, we are not separate from nature. We are different manifestations of the same source. And by design, you know, the more communal relationship we have, the, the better. And I, and I think it was John Muir you know, the, the founder of, um, well, he was really an environmental philosopher, you know, mid-late 19th century, did so much to enhance the understanding and, and research of natural environments. I think he was really the, the father of our park systems. Right. And, um, you know, I, I think he once said, of all the paths you take in life, make sure a few of them are dirt. I love it. Yeah. One of my favorite all-time quotes, and, and honestly, I say this all the time. We were talking earlier about uh, getting this into medical programs and different educational institutions. John Muir should be in medical schools. Just my my two cents. Uh, he, he was the father of the park system because he brought Roosevelt out to Yosemite and explained how good nature is for us. 
and how we should protect it. And that's, I mean, that's forward thinking. That has just as much impact on our health as half the people you read about in med school, Mark. So I, I love that quote. Um, wow. Steve, I know you're a Muir fan as well. Absolutely. I, I mean, it, John Muir's, you know, taught, you know, throughout outdoor education schools, right. Recreation schools, um, just about every, you know, every guide focused course that I've been able to attend has, has touched on John Muir and, you know, in some yeah. way, shape or form. Um, to, and also another one, I don't know if you guys are familiar with Paul Petzold, mm-hmm. Paul Petzold, yes. right, founder of Knowles and, um, you know, that, that institution, you know, definitely works very, very hard to teach every student that passes through their doors, right. In which every U S astronaut passes through their doors in some way, shape or form, or really passes through their trees yeah. um, in some way, shape or form yeah. in relation to, you know, leadership training. Yeah. Um, so I'm very inspired by him because I happen to be a military vet, right? And and um, yeah, yeah. you know he was he was also a military vet. Came back and established a, a an amazing you know institution for outdoor education. So um, I'm, I'm grateful for him. Right? Yeah, to getting dude, back to gratitude. <laughs> well, and it goes back to what Mark said earlier about we're not separate and how we like to separate ourselves. Um, you know, it's just as important to study about these folks as it is to look at medical history and sure. you know where we've come throughout healthcare. Um, Mark, I want to, um, I want to segue into a section of this interview that we like to call the fast five. This is something that Steve came up with in the first episode (laughs) and uh, it's gotten a tremendous amount of, uh, positive response. So we're going to ask you five questions. We ask that you answer as quickly as you can. Okay. And, uh, we'll have some fun with this. Mark, where is your favorite spot to get outdoors? My backyard. Nice. <laughs> wow. Why is that? Beautiful flower beds, largely uh, protected wooded lands. Um, I'm close to home, which I love my house. So th- this feels like a very uh, natural extension of that. And it's easy, accessible. All I have to do is open the door and I'm there. Oh, Steve, how much do you love that answer? Beautiful. I, I share. I'm, I feel very similarly. Me too. Me too. <laughs> walk right outside. All right, Mark. What is your preferred outdoor activity? Walking on the beach. Oh. Ah, what is it about walking on the beach that you love? I've always loved the ocean, and the uh, it's always been a place where I have almost immediately felt this wave of calm and connection. As a renal guy, nephrology guy, I've always been intrigued by the fact that ocean water has a very similar uh, electrolyte constituency as what you see in our blood plasma. Oh, yeah. I just find that uh, intriguing. And, um, you know, the soft sand and, and again, usually it's a sun-drenched environment. So, uh, yeah, it. all of the above. Don't drink seawater, though. Don't drink seawater. That will not go down well. Danger. Danger. Um, You know, there's so much research coming out now about, uh, we know about green spaces, but I love reading about blue spaces and how people are healthier and, and uh, tend to live longer when they live near water, which is so tremendous. And it's right on point with what you're saying. Mm. Mark, what's your favorite food to eat outside? Favorite food to eat outside? (laughs) Watermelon. Oh Ooh, yeah. Why is that? It uh, brings me back to my uh, grandfather who uh, lived and was raised in Alabama. Uh, I lived with my grandparents when I was young. My mother was very sick and unable to care for my sister and I, my father couldn't not work. And, um, watermelon was just a, a very abundant crop down in Alabama. And, um, uh, we would sit outside and because you're outside, the seeds, the water, the mess, oh, yeah. none of it mattered. Yeah. You could just fully <laughs> indulge uh, without any rules or uh, concerns. And um, yeah, I just love the taste. And, and I guess it, I guess some of it is those fond. I never really thought about it till, the, till right now, but I, I think there are fond, deeply emotional memories I have of those experiences. Sounds like freedom. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's so funny eat. that watermelon is, is associated with that, you know, 4th of July, summer, uh, it's just, it's, 
such a magical thing. You, you actually took me back to a lot of memories when you were saying that, Mark. And my grandfather used to say, if, if you're not wearing it all the way down to your elbows, you're not enjoying the watermelon. <laughs> yeah. Messy right. foods are the best. That's it. That's the best. Yeah. <laughs> um, do you have a favorite animal? Well, I've always been a dog fan. We've always had dogs. Um, uh, though I have to say I have two cats now. And while they're very different, as we all know, uh, they're pretty cool as well, but dogs are special. And, um, <laughs> I've, you know, just have, have loved them. And I'm always intrigued, right. By the, the, their senses, right. Which we all know are yeah. expanded. Yep. And I've, I've Some always health been, benefits. Yeah, exactly. And I've always been so touched by these healing dogs and just how good people feel when they're around them, the energy, it's it's beautiful, and in a perfect world, uh, there'd be no pets without a companion, and no person without a companion pet who who would benefit from one. I love that. Yeah, I love that. Um, Mark, if you could only go to one outdoor spot for the rest of your life, what would it be? Hmm. Boy, that's a tough one. <laughs> I would have to say. Um, Newport, Rhode Island, okay, um, has a um, um, it, it's just a uh, a setting that I frequented as a teenager, and um, I still go back now, many years later, uh, and and I think it is part of the ocean. Looking out at those beautiful boats, it uh, vibrant environment lots of people from all over and great people watching and um and relatively close to where i live so it's not a huge trek to get there so yeah i would say newport rhode island that's wonderful mm. and we have a bonus uh and you mentioned one earlier and if it's the same answer that's perfectly okay do you have a favorite okay. nature quote saying an idiom ah boy um so there there's a i really liked uh Tiknot Hans work oh. and um and I actually not knowing you were going to ask this question mark but I I was looking at uh Tiknot Hans many beautiful expressions and 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 nature and so Tiknot Han once said you carry mother earth within you she is not outside of you mother earth is not just your environment it is that insight of interbeing. It is possible to have real communication with the earth, which is the highest form of prayer. Wow. Beautiful. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. I, I'm, it's not, it's, it's a rare thing that I'm without words, but uh, that's so yeah. beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. And thank, and thank you for you the, both for um, reconnecting me to that. That happened because of, of this, this right synchronicity. <laughs> oh, uh, wow. And so I thank you for that. I hope people are Googling Thich Nhat Hanh as, as they listen. Absolutely. Right? They've, especially if they never heard his name. Yeah. Yeah. Vietnamese oh, wow. monk worked for, for many, many, many years in France. Uh, just a mindfulness expert at the highest level. Amazing human being. Yes. Uh, just a world changer. Yes. Um, that's phenomenal. And Mark, I, I, couldn't be happier with this interview. I think this could go on for another six hours if we wanted it to. Um, Steve, is there anything else you have for Dr. Pettis? No, I mean, we started, you know, with gratitude and I want to end again on gratitude. You know, thank you so much for your time, uh, both, both Mark and Mark, you know, again, I, I'm very, very grateful for a time well spent. Thank you. Yeah, Mark, do you have any parting words for, for the audience? I, hope that I can come on again at some point and, and definitely I've already more. made that note recurring <laughs> guest. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would yeah. To the audience, just um, go outside, give yourself a big hug and tell yourself how much you love you. Oh, I love that. Thank you. I don't know anybody that couldn't afford to do that more. Um, but honestly, Steve, just to echo what you said, I'm so grateful for you. So grateful for, for you, Mark, and to have you not just on the show, but to be able to call you a friend and, you know, thank you for all the times you just shoot me a text and check in. It means the world. Uh, we'll definitely have you back on. I'm pretty certain that that's a, that's a guarantee right now. 
And thank you for everything that you do to make healthcare better and to help people change their lives in a positive way. I, I couldn't mean that more. And thank you to all of you out there. Thank you for listening. And again, do your health and well-being the best favor you can and just get outside. Thank you for listening to the Nature of Wellness podcast hosted by Dr. Mark A. Campbell and Steve Otero. Follow us on Instagram at Nature of Wellness with new content being added frequently. Be sure to like, comment, and subscribe wherever you listen. The content of this podcast is for general information purposes only. Nothing should be taken as legal or medical advice. The information is not intended to replace the guidance of your healthcare providers, but to create an outlet for new discussions with them.